And good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. All right. Yes, we're going to enter into a summertime study of the book of Proverbs, which I think will be very beneficial, and uh, I'm sure it will be very beneficial. And uh, did we get that thing, Danny? Did that show up back there? Okay, sweet. There's always last-minute things that are flying around in cyber world to try to make it there to a place where you can attend to them. And uh, when they all work right, we say, thank you, Jesus. And when they don't, we say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? One way or another. Okay, so it's Father's Day today, and uh, that's, always a, that's always a motivation. Usually what we do is, you know, when, the, when it's Mother's Day, we're real nice to the mothers. We talk nice to them. We tell them how wonderful they are and how important everything is. And then we, like, beat up on the fathers on Father's Day. Isn't that right, Rick, the way it works? I think Rick was probably the first person who actually pointed that out, you know, after years of doing that, that, yeah, that seems to be the pattern. But this morning, rather than beat up on the fathers, who deserve being beat up? Can I get an amen on that? All right. But, you know, God loves fathers. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at Proverbs. We're, we're going to kind of do an introduction to the book of Proverbs. And then um, we'll look at 10 things if we actually get to this this morning. Hopefully we will. 10 things that, that Proverbs says that fathers should be teaching their children about. And actually the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs contain, this is why it's a very appropriate book uh, for this morning, the first nine chapters of Proverbs contain 10 speeches from a father to his child, specifically giving guidance, giving warnings about folly and foolish living, giving encouragement towards wise living and integrity and, uh, and, and, and righteous living. So um, it is kind of what Proverbs is about, and it's a great book for fathers to share with their children because it, Proverbs was really written, as, as you probably noted, um, we, uh, we have a, a memory verse going around. I threw it out a couple weeks ago when I wasn't here, and then we didn't do it last week when we did Scott's um, message. And so um, we, uh, I, I, I pulled up Proverbs chapter 1 um, a couple of weeks ago to be a memory verse for this month. And we'll, in like Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then 1 through 4 and 5 through 7, actually, uh, form an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And they basically explain to us what Psalms is all about. So here's the title for our um, message this morning, The Book of Proverbs, Wisdom from a Father's Heart. Wisdom from a Father's Heart. And that's essentially what the book of Proverbs is. So a proverb is typically like a short, clever saying that offers a God-centered kind of wisdom. And this book of Proverbs has a lot of those, these little tight, pithy, concise, succinct type of statements, kind of one-liners, a lot of those. But most of those are contained through chapters 10 through 29. There's actually three sections, one through nine, chapters one through nine. Well, chapter one, one through seven is the introduction. We'll look at that in a moment. Chapters one through nine are really kind of the introduction in the body of the book. Then chapters 10 through 29 are all those famous, short, little, concise statements, maxims, bromides, statements of wisdom um, that are um, presented there in that chapter. And then the book concludes with a couple of more speeches. It concludes by, with a couple of speeches by somebody named Agor, and then somebody else named King Lemuel, who is often assumed to be um, Solomon himself. And so um, it, it, it has quite a variety of interesting things for us to look into. Um, happily to begin, the book um, has been designed with an introduction so that we would know precisely what it was created to do and what it's for. Um, it has an introduction that tells us precisely, this is what you do with this book. This is how you use this. This is what this book is for. Um, there's also uh, an interesting and helpful way that many people uh, read the Proverbs, and that is that since there are usually at least 30 days in a month, and in most months there are 31, and in these two months, uh, these three months that are coming up, the one that we're in the middle of now only has 30 days. Next month, July, we'll have 31. August, will have 31. And that means if you read one chapter of Proverbs a day, you will have gone through the entire book of Proverbs in one month. 
So in the next three months, you could go through the book of Proverbs without even really trying. You could go through the Proverbs three times fully and, and read it over and over again um, throughout, the, throughout the month. So let me, let me encourage you to, to make that part of your, uh, your devotion, part of the time that you're going to spend with the Lord, that you would read the book of Proverbs or read the chapter of Proverbs, which matches the day of the week. So, <clears throat> so let's let the book introduce itself, and, uh, we'll ex- and it'll explain to us its purpose. And uh, so here we go. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge, and discernment to the young. Now, I want you to read that with me because that is uh, our monthly memorization passage. And um, Jewel has put together some little um, laminated uh, cards kind of in the back where you can take that home with you and then it can just be part of your daily time with the Lord and something you put somewhere where you can read it off. And then it's a great thing because it, it is just laying it, it's laying it out as about as straightforwardly as it possibly can right? That this, this book is for the, for, for the person who reads it to develop a disciplined and, and thereby a successful life. Um, and so that's, uh, that's the point of the book. Um, so let's, let's read it together one more time and you read along with me. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son. You can do better than that. Here we go. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel, Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. All right, so we're off the ground. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that is set aside for us to gather together and to honor you and to honor the fact that you have welcomed us so ridiculously graciously into your family and into your fellowship, into into this wonderful kingdom that you are building. So we praise you and thank you this morning for making us part of this glorious work of the church that you're doing in the world. Thank you for calling us out of this lost and, and foolish world. And thank you for calling us into the place where our lives are being disciplined under your tutelage, under your guidance. We thank you for this book of Proverbs and the, and the wisdom that uh, you offer to us in it. We lack wisdom in so many ways. And so, Lord God, we thank you for making this available. And we pray that as we spend some time studying this morning and over the next couple of weeks and months, that you will allow its wisdom just to well up within us, that we would be wiser than we even are now. So we just pray for your blessing and your guidance, Lord, on our time this morning. Take your word, Holy Spirit, you're the one that can sow it deep into that innermost part of the, of the heart, into that place which is the dividing of soul and spirit, the place um, down to the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. So we, uh, we offer this time to you, Lord God. Teach us, instruct us, guide us, lead us. And we will be happy to respond, O oh God, to you in obedience and in joyful, thankful cooperation together with your plan. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, Proverbs are to help us to gain a disciplined and wise life. Um, to give insight and knowledge and discernment to us. Okay, so it brings us back to the, uh, to the story of uh, Solomon found in 1 Kings chapter 3. Actually, 1 Kings chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is the story of the uh, coming to reign. Kind of the, it's the story of the end of David's life. 
And David, by the time we get to 1 Kings chapters 1 through 4, David is an old man. And there's a, it's really interesting reading. If you haven't read it for a while, it is really interesting reading. Because in, in, re, in the reality of the fact that David is now old and in decline, there's a lot of intrigue going on. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of interest as to who's going to be up next. And of course, David had one son, Absalom, who rebelled against him, and that re- rebellion was put down. Uh, and that was actually his second son. His first son was murdered by Absalom. David actually had 19 sons. So when it came to who was supposed to be the king next, uh, there was a little bit of conjecture about this. There was some speculation as to who might be the next guy. And uh, one of his sons was kind of getting all set and kind of threw a big feast, put all this whole big thing together uh, in preparation. And kind of the, 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 um, the sense is that David is just kind of old and he's kind of probably not tuned in, not dialed in very much to what's going on. And so there's a lot of, a lot of intrigue that's uh, taking place, a lot of political family maneuvering. And uh, so in, this, in making this decision as to who would be the next king, um, Bathsheba, the famous, infamous, perhaps Bathsheba, um, who was uh, part with, partner with David with, that, with the whole sinful thing that occurred some years prior and lost that baby because that baby uh, didn't survive uh, and wasn't, was never born. And, uh, but the, when she did have a child, it, it, it appears as though, but it's never stated in the text anywhere, that David had made a promise to Bathsheba that it would be her son who would be the next king. And so here we are at the end of David's life, there's this really interesting story that I was meaning to um, have a discussion with Lorraine about because there's the story of Abishag the Shunammite. Anybody familiar with that story? Man, you guys are really biblically ill. You, you don't read the good stuff. Anyway, anybody familiar with Abishag the Shunammite? Yes. Okay, good, couple. Well, it's just a really interesting story, right? Because David is old, and apparently he's having a hard time keeping warm at night. And so one of his good friends decides, I got a good idea. We will go find the most beautiful virgin in the land, and she will be able to keep... Isn't that a wild story? Now, we, we are told in the text this was not a sexual thing, you know, it was just this, you know, but it's, it's just more about the decline of David, and so here he, he's this old guy, and they, you know, and he's got to have this. Now, I was thinking, if that was my story, um, they wouldn't go, uh, for the, the big difference would be that, first of all, she would not be the most beautiful virgin in the land. My wife might go for this, but it wouldn't be the most beautiful virgin in the land that would be chosen. For... All right, I'll get off this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're treading on some thin ice here, Pastor Joe, I think. But anyway, so, so all this stuff is going on in 1 Kings chapter 4. And... Um, so, and it's all being worked out, but finally Bathsheba comes in, and she's got a little thing worked out with Nathan, and it's got kind of a seedy little sense to it, um, but Nathan goes in, he says, well, look, you go in first, and you say you made a promise, and I'll go in afterwards, and I'll say you made a promise, and we'll talk about this, and we'll, so anyway, long story short, Solomon becomes king. Solomon is, a, is anointed and, um, by David to be the next king of Israel, and, and that's the way it works out. And then there's also many interesting stories following as to how David is to, D- David prepares him, like, look, these guys are your friends. Take care of these guys. These guys over here, they're your enemies. Take care of those guys. And so he's got kind of a whole game plan set up um, for Solomon. And so Solomon becomes the king. And, and in becoming a king, he's still a fairly young man when he becomes the king. And so one night he has a dream. And he has, and in this dream, God comes to him and says to him, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he considers the whole matter, and he says, well, my big issue right now is that I'm, I feel like I'm just too young and inexperienced to be a king over your people. And so what I really need is wisdom. And so he prays and asks God for wisdom. And of course, this leads to Solomon's legendary wisdom in which um, people come from all over the world to hear the things that he has to teach and to share and to, to offer in terms of uh, what, he's, what he's teaching. 
Um, and God not only gave Solomon wisdom, but he said, I'm going I'm to give you all the rest, all the other stuff as well. Now, th- that should be a good encouragement for taking some time to get into Proverbs, because Proverbs is, as we just read, a book that is devoted to our gaining or acquiring wisdom, godly wisdom in our life. And I would say that if you and I pursue godly wisdom, or I have found that if, if in pursuing godly wisdom, you get all the other stuff. Everything that is good, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly, says Scripture, right? So if you, but if you go for the wisdom, then you got the important thing that will help you to filter your way and direct your way through life and, and not make any gigantic mistakes or not crash and burn somewhere along the way. So Solomon asked God for wisdom. God gives him this wisdom, but he gives him everything else, the, the riches, the, um, all, of the, all of the accoutrements of, uh, of leadership. And, uh, and so people come from all over the world. Solomon becomes known as the wisest man in the world. Here's a, uh, here's a passage that kind of relates it to us. It says he composed some 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. That's doing something, I gotta tell you. I've written a few along the way, but 1,005, what do you think, Lisa? That's doing something, right? He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants from this great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish, and kings from every nation set their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. So he wrote all this, all this um, songs and, and proverbs, and, uh, and, and although not everything in the book of Proverbs is written specifically by him personally, he is basically where Israel's wisdom tradition begins. Solomon is kind of like the focal point of Israel's uh, wisdom tradition. And something, there's one thing that's even, um, I think, more compelling about this book, Um, The introduction says that by reading this book, you too will become wise. By reading and listening and paying attention to this book, you too will become wise. And wisdom is praised in this book as the highest possible attainment. Get wisdom, get understanding with, you know, like whatever you have to do, if you search for it as for silver, if you seek for it as for hidden treasure, then you will find wisdom, for wisdom comes from God. So throughout this book, wisdom is held up. It's like that's, it's actually said, I think it's chapter nine. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In our world, we hear smart all the time. Oh, he's, he or she is just so smart. You know, as if IQ were the principal thing, but it isn't. Wisdom is the principal thing. That ability to kind of see through it all and understand and discern far off what is the good thing and what is not the good thing? And let me attach myself and devote myself to the good thing and let me back out of those bad things because the bad things are dangerous and the good things are beneficial. It's kind of a pretty simple formula, isn't it? It's a very simple formula. So, um, so in, 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 in Hebrew, the word for wisdom Um, doesn't necessarily imply or really does not pertain specifically just to, let's say, a mental type of activity or activity or a thought type of activity. The the word really um, has much more to do with action, first to action, and, and by that I'm talking about in the way that one actually conducts oneself or the way that one actually lives their life. For instance, the first place that we read about the wisdom that God um, dispenses to the people who, um, who are serving him is way back in Exodus chapter 31, we read about these two guys named Bezalel and Aholiab. Anybody remember Bezalel and Aholiab? Now he's somewhere with, uh, who was the last guy we were just talking about? Him. Anyway, um, Bezalel and Aholiab were these, when they were building the tabernacle, when Moses had brought the people out and he was given instruction on how to build the tabernacle, God said, here's the guy, oh, I think you even have it someplace here. Yeah, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, kochmah, 
is the Hebrew term, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. In other words, he was a skilled worker. He really knew how things were supposed to be, how they were supposed to look, how they were supposed to be fashioned, and it was his job to make all this furniture for the tabernacle, which had, which had never been made before, but the guy just had great skill, and his skill, more than just his, let's say, his knowledge of um, uh, sound judgment or something like that. Much more is, is implied in terms of uh, ascribing to this guy Bezalel and this guy Aholiab, these two craftsmen in the Old, Te- in the Old Testament, that they, they were uh, artists and craftsmen. They were charged with, with the construction of the temple, and they were particularly skillful in, in all of that type of craft. So, um, so the book of Proverbs is to, Im- the purpose of the book of Proverbs, which I think I have here as well, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to help us develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's word, world. To help us develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. This in turn gets linked with another idea that is fundamental to this, to this introduction, and that is the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Now, the fear of the Lord is not about terror. It's not about being afraid of God. It is about having a healthy sense of reverence and an awe for God. It's about knowing who God is and about knowing what my place is in his world. In the process of just thinking this through or just kind of putting things together, I thought that is really key, to know who I am living in God's world. So we don't think of the world as that. We don't think of the world as God's thing that he made and us as somehow part of it. We think of the world as our thing. We think of all of our lives, are, we're just so you know, personally centered that it seems like everything here just to serve my purpose. I'm like the center of the universe. It's kind of like the natural mindset that we have. But real wisdom um, is derived, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point for that kind of instruction, and it's about who God is and about recognizing my place in his universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes that I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. I need to find out what God says about good and evil and right and wrong and then um, train my life to be consistent with that. So I need to humble myself before God, embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me, right? This is, what, this is what the fear of the Lord is all about. Now, the introduction leads us into the first section, which is chapters one through nine. That's not where we find all the little one-liners. As I said, rather what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means living a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which, according to the Proverbs, will lead to a life of success and well-being and peace. So, um, so in this introduction here, we have not only um, instructions for how to be blessed, how to find peace, how to prosper in this world, but the father also warns his son about the folly and evil of foolish decisions that will breed selfishness and pride and will lead to eventual ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom um, and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. So let's see, we've got, did I miss that? Yeah, let's let me uh, let's go forward to this to the rest of that um, beginning portion of the first chapter. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words and riddles, uh, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of. Oops. Let me get that up there. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. This is really like, here's the cornerstone of this entire book. Okay, so here's, here's this information it is given to attain wisdom, discipline, prudence, to, to lead a, a wise and disciplined and godly life, a, or life that will lead to success. But the whole thing is grounded on this one fundamental truth, which says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So wisdom and discipline are, are said to be able to lead us to a life that will be successful in God. <clears throat> um, now the first section, the first section uh, well, it, throughout this first section, we'll get into these, um, 
into these uh, various different speeches of the Father, um, and we'll check that out. So this, this way of thinking that a son should uh, make, the, make, make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life, that is the, that is the kind of thinking that forms the, the moral center or the moral logic of the entire book. Now these speeches from the Father also clue us into what biblical wisdom, um, biblical wisdom literature is and what it is not. It's not law. It's, it's very interesting, this, the, the wisdom literature is Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, that little group of, grouping of books there kind of crammed together in the center of your Bible. And the, um, the wisdom literature um, is there, um, <clears throat> is, 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 a, is a different type of thing than the law is. The law is just the command. God says, you shall or you shall not. But wisdom is kind of the accumulated insight that has been gained over generations. So it kind of has a, a human and divine component. It is people, it is the, the collected sayings of wise people who lived their lives in a certain way and found that that certain way brought blessing and benefit to their life and that way was consistent with what God had said in his word as the way to live. And so this just simply became um, a means by which a person conducted themselves. So it's more than just the wisdom, uh, the wisdom that is presented in Proverbs is more than just something that is cerebral or intellectual. It is something that is practical, something that is to be useful on an, uh, on an everyday basis. So throughout the book of Proverbs, there are collected human reflections about wisdom. They've been finally put together and organized mm, as God's word. Um, and it, and, and the, the confluencing of those two things, in other words, that there is both a human and a divine component, uh, kind of comes into play when Solomon is um, having his dream, and when he has his dream, he asks God for wisdom, and so he's seeking God for wisdom, and then God imparts or, or promises to impart that wisdom to him, and so there's this cooperative thing. It is, that, it is laid out that way throughout the book of Proverbs, that it is on us to seek for it, and it is on God to provide it. Think of the book of James. If anybody... If any of you lacks wisdom, he has only to ask of God who will give liberally to all men without finding fault, and it will be given to him, right? Then that would be in the count it all joy when you come into many different kinds of trying situations or many different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its work. But if you lack wisdom, um, you have only to ask of God. So wisdom is the fundamental thing to seek for, and it is ours to seek God for it, and it is God's to, to bestow it. Upon it now, there are so there are ten speeches by the Father. We'll look at them um, rather briefly this morning, and then there are all, there are four poems in this first nine set of nine chapters um, from Lady Wisdom. Wisdom is politically poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek for her. It's interesting that that wisdom, um, the, kind of like the it's, in the Book of Proverbs. The female is presented as both the sum of all that is good, Sophia, Lady Wisdom, and the sum of all that is bad, the harlot or the prostitute or the seductive wife or the immoral, uh, the immoral partner, right? These, so on, on either end, so women are honored, honored on one hand as the fountain source of, of wisdom, so it's uh, that personification of wisdom, and then on the other hand, women are... Um, we are, we are told to be wise concerning relationships with women. So, um, what else do we have here? Okay, so in the next section of the book, cha chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient Proverbs, and these are all filtered um, down through the wisdom that is presented to us in Proverbs chapter 1 and 8 through 9. So let me, oh, there's also, I, I think we'll, we'll probably preach this message in a week or two, but Proverbs tells us how to be wise and also tells us how not to be a fool. Do you know that there are five kinds of fools? So for those of you who are anywhere near my age, you, you now will know the answer to the famous Anthony Newley song of years and years ago. What kind of fool am I? 
Now you can find out. You're a simple fool or a silly fool or a sensual fool or a steadfast fool. Or we'll get into all this because the Bible will help you to know just exactly what kind of a fool you are. One person said, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Right? So um, in, in this book, there's a whole lot about wisdom and there's a whole lot about foolishness and there's a whole lot about learning to be a wise person. And everybody is in a journey in this thing. It's kind of like the, the, the Proverbs are laid out speaking to us as if they were, these were finished and completed works, the, the wise man, the righteous man versus the unrighteous man or the foolish man. But we're all in, a, in process. I'm either a wise man getting wiser or a foolish man becoming more foolish. Nobody is static. Nobody stays in the same place. We are all in a process of moving in a direction. And so that's why in, the, in that last passage that we're looking at, it says, let the wise listen and add to their let me find that again. Yeah, it says, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. So that's the thing. If you, I'm, I am presuming, the, the very fact that you are at Freedom Church this morning identifies the fact that you are a wise person. <laughs> right off the bat, okay? So you got one, you know, one, one good mark in your column already. But being, you're here this morning because we want to, we're, we're learning wisdom from God. Wisdom is protective. Wisdom is helpful. Wisdom is insightful. Wisdom is beneficial. And so, but we're all in this process. And I think if I don't move along to my 10 things that fathers should teach you, I got a ton of other things here. Let me get after that then. So anyway, 10 things that a father should teach his children. Okay? And we'll find these. Every one of these speeches are probably uh, somewhere around like 10, 12, 14 verses long. So to get into them, I tried to just kind of pick some nugget out of each of them just to, um, just to kind of communicate these various different lessons here. So here's the, here's the first one. Listen up. His, a father should say to his child, listen up, watch out. Be careful. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. That means, meaning chains of beauty, attractiveness, gold chains. My son, and here's the first, here's the first lesson. Well, here's the first two lessons that the book of Proverbs has to, to present to us. Number one, listen up. Listen to your parents. I'm glad that our young people are in, uh, are, are, a service with us here this morning, because it would really be wise, it would behoove you so much to just immerse yourself into the book of Proverbs, you would find it to be so helpful. I have known a few people in my life, I played music with a guy years ago, Wayne Scott Farley, he practically had the book memorized. And it, and, and it was such a benefit, like it, it motivated me to get on to, do, to, to memorize more of the uh, of scripture. But it becomes, when it, when it is yours, when you own it, when you have it, when it is, you know, like when, when David says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, when, it, when it's really there, when it's something that we own, then God can use it in, in powerful ways. So anyway, here's, here's the father, and he's saying, first thing is listen, listen to me. I, I doubt there are any fathers who have not said that repeatedly to their children. You need to listen. And then secondarily, watch out. And he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then he goes into this whole thing in that first chapter about bad friends. And he's saying, the first thing you want to do is listen to your parents. The second thing you want to do is watch out for wrong people. Because wrong people will take you down a bad road. Bad friends corrupt good morals, says the New Testament. And so... The first two lessons here in the book are listen to your father, listen to your mother, listen to your parents. It will benefit you for the rest of your life. And if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not get on board. Do not go along with them. Do not yield to that because they will take you someplace you don't want to go. So the first lesson is listen up, watch out. And it would be worthwhile as fathers to really read these things with your kids. You know, sometimes as, as a dad, you may not know, okay, what should I actually use for a devotion? Well, how about this? How about these things? Just reading a short little passage and letting it be a topic of discussion between you and your children. Uh, it's, a, it's a great idea. Okay, the second one, the second um, speech from the Father is found in chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And here's the, uh, the, the, the nugget of truth that's in there. Wisdom 
comes from God. Therefore, seek God. If you want wisdom, you will have to look to God because God is the one who gives wisdom. Here's the, uh, here's the text. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So for a person to find wisdom, they will have to seek God because wisdom only comes from God. So in looking to God, wisdom can be found. Um, The Proverbs are explicit instructions to seek God because the true wisdom only comes from him. The third, um, the third section, or the third speech from the Father, is found in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And as a title for that little section, um, I think the, the, the nugget would be, trust God, not yourself. And it's, it has that famous passage of Scripture that most are familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, um, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the next thing is to trust God. So, so far we've got, listen up, watch out. Wisdom comes from God. Trust in God. Put your whole trust in the Lord. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to understand it all. Because God will give understanding as understanding is needed. So many times when something is still dark or still unclear, it's just important to stay with what you know and stay with what you're doing and stay with where you're at and let God bring clarity to the matter because God, wisdom, <laughs> because wisdom comes from God. Okay, then number four, safety and security, true safety and true security are only found in God. The the writer of Proverbs says, "My, my child, do not lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They will keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly for the Lord is your security. The only true safety and security in this world are found in God himself. There's not safety and security in your bank account, in your job, in your family, in your position, in your name, in anything that you and I have. Everything that we have could be gone tomorrow. Am I right, Sharon? Things can change rather quickly, can't they, right? And all of this, all the stuff that, you know, Sharon just got through a, a prolonged illness out of nowhere, boom. Life can change rapidly. Safety and security are only found in God. And the, so the only place that we can really find a real sense of that, that, that our, where our well-being is grounded is in his protection and his care and his direction and his provision over our life. So safety and security are only found in God. You know what that is? It's weird, that's what it is. Okay. Number five, a father should advise his children to cultivate good judgment. He writes and says, my children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. And what a wonderful promise that is, right? That if we seek God for wisdom, if we cultivate good judgment, we'll be able to work our way, navigate our world through the, our, our way through this twisted and, and, and false world. So much of this world is just a, 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 an empty promise. It is a check that you can never cash. It's a promise that never gets fulfilled. The world is just a disappointment. And, and God, by giving us good judgment, allows us to kind of navigate our way through the, through the falsehood of this life, through the superficiality of this present world, and, and into those things that are um, eternally valuable and fruitful. Number six, instruction is the key to life. Reproofs and instruction are the key to life, and he is wise who is guided thereby. 
The, proud, the father writes, my child, listen to me and do as I say, and you will have a long, good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways. I will lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. So instruction, being, being willing to listen. One of, one of the most notable th- things that, that, that has been most notable to me over years is I, you can tell pretty quickly whether a person is really going anywhere, particularly like a person who comes to know the Lord, okay? If a person comes to know the Lord, it, it will be the, the real discerner as to how rapidly they will be able to make progress is how teachable are they? Because many people are just, <laughs> just not teachable just so stuck in, in ways uh, that, that they, they, there's just no change. And in order for God's work and God's purpose to be fulfilled in our life, it's important for us to be instructed all the time, right? The word of God is here for the purpose of, of instructing um, and giving instruction in righteousness and correction and exhortation, all of that. So the whole book is there to, to straighten me out and give me some right direction. And, uh, and when, when a person is not teachable, when it's just kind of stuck in ways, that is, just, that is such a spiritual dead end to not be willing to let your ways to be conformed to the word of God. Okay, so instruction is the key to life. Number seven, this one's big, guard your heart. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Wow, That's, that is a powerful statement. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because if your heart becomes attached to something, the rest of you is likely to follow. And so it's important to, to protect yourself from falling in love with this I don't know, this, this crazy world that's all around us, right? Scripture says, don't love the world, neither the things of the world. Anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so this world has, its, has so much appeal. We are living in this time, particularly right now, re- with regards to all this, one of the things that um, is so important for us to understand is we are living in a sex-saturated time of history. Everything is pushing. There are devious, dark forces Pushing, 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 like inundating our culture with all types of sexual um, reference. Uh, forcing it, right? The, 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 rampantness, the, the rampantness of pornography is such a massive trap for so many of us men because we are so naturally tuned to this whole thing of sexual interest and sexual excitement. And then, so that right on my computer, there's all that I could ever want. All, it's sexual leaders, every, every wish is, is, is presented right there and it's granted. And it's happening on every level. The thing that is, that is working now, that is being pushed right now, it's all tied in with this whole trans thing and with this whole gay thing and LGBTQ plus this whole, you know, alphabet mafia thing. All of it is tied into, ultimately, where it's going is towards pedophilia towards the normalization of sexual relationships between adults and children. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And so, all right, so let, let's hope that most of us here are, are not inclined in that, you know, now they're calling pedophilia, what is it, younger age attraction or something? What's the, anybody got that? Minor, minor attracted Adults, okay? No, all of this is just simply, and, and believe me, pedophilia is rampant in, in higher levels and strata of society. It, it's kind of a mark of ownership. It's part of the process. It's what Jeffrey Epstein and all of that was all about to entrap people. So the point is, don't get entrapped in sexual sin. That, that may not be your problem, but the thing is, this, if that's the line, get 10 feet back from it, stay away from it. Do everything possible to steer clear of it. This book is so, it is so strong on that topic. That sexual immorality is a disaster waiting to happen. Did I make it clear? 
right, but it, it's, it, it is so important that we hear this. It is so important that we fight this battle. Young men, fight this battle. Let me tell you, it's not going away. It's not gonna change anytime soon. God's not gonna magically lift it off. You're gonna have to surrender it to God. You're gonna have to die to it. That's what's gonna have to happen, or otherwise it'll be back, and it'll be back, and it'll be back. And so it's just something, we always have to be warned about it. We always have to be encouraged in this thing to to say no to that um, immoral tendency in our life. My child, pay attention to what I say. Yeah. Um, Listen carefully, my words, don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them. Let's go to the next one. And this is kind of gets right to what I'm just talking about now. Immorality is dangerous. Immorality is dangerous. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. He's saying it as strong as he he possibly can. Don't let immorality wreck your life. Don't get caught up. In his situation, I mean, he's saying, I I, I looked out the window, I saw this young man, he was, was void of understanding, he was just simple. He just did, the simple fool, but to give you a little preview on the fool's thing, the simple fool is the person who just doesn't realize that there's danger. And so they just ram right into it, not realizing that there's trouble down the road. That's what it means to be a simple fool. And probably all of us have been at one time or another, a simple fool. You just didn't realize that there were consequences to the behavior that was presently going on in your life. And so, immorality is dangerous. Playing around with this is dangerous, and it is necessary to abandon it and forsake it because it will will reap havoc on our life. Number nine, don't be lazy. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince, no governor, or no ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? So we need to teach our children. Fathers need to give their children speeches about not being lazy. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. And finally, because I couldn't think of a title for this one, but it's just, it's coming up, and again, and again, and again, and so he says, listen to me, my sons, pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts wander or stray away toward her. Speaking about the immoral woman, don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. And so it's strong warning about immorality, strong warning about laziness, strong warning about just guarding and protecting our heart, receiving instruction. All of these are various things that are all just set right in there that every father can take some time and, and go through with his child or his children and then break it down and explain why these things are important, to impart them. Because this is what the book was for, to, to encourage us to lead a wise and disciplined and godly life and so thereby, thereby to find prosperity and success in God. <sighs> Amen. All right, so let's, let's, uh, let's present it to the Lord. I wonder if I can get the dads to come down here. Come on down, dads. And let's pray for the dads this morning. You know you need it. Being a, I, I don't know that there is any more important job in this world than being a father to a child and taking it with complete responsibility. Okay, ladies, and you can extend your your hand out this way, and let's just pray for, uh, for God's blessing on us as fathers to be wise, to be secure, to be moral, to be upright, to have integrity, to be true, right? To be to be Jesus guys, right? Heavenly Father, we thank you today.
that in this world of confusion about everything, you elected, you chose to make us men in this world. And we are grateful for that. And, and there, there are many wonderful blessings that come along with being a man in this world. One of the most wonderful of all is to have a child, to bring, a children, to bring children into this world. We thank you for the great, the wonder, the miracle that the whole thing is, to look at the little one that we somehow created with this body and, and see the life that's in them and, and then to realize the responsibility that we have to, our, to, to train our children in the nurture, in the admonition of who you are, to teach them who you are, to show them who you are. And so I thank you for every one of these men. I thank you, Lord God, for their, their testimony, their lives and their home, their families, their children. I thank you, Lord God. I just lay hands on everybody here and all these brothers and God just pray, let your, let your spirit and your power and your fruit, the fruit of your spirit and your love and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord God, let those things fill our life to the extent that we are in, uh, in, ensnared in anything, Father God, we come against that right now in Jesus' name and we declare that Satan, you have nothing. You have nothing over every man in this room because Jesus is Lord in every heart represented here this morning. Am I right, guys? Amen. Jesus is Lord, right? Okay, and with Jesus as Lord, we claim, O Lord God, we claim your best for our lives. We ask you, Lord, to deliver us from all evil, deliver us from all sin, deliver our mind from all wickedness and all perversion and all everything that is twisted and broken that we picked up along the way. Cleanse us, as the scripture says, from all unrighteousness that we can represent and be the men you need us to be and the world needs us to be while we are here. I think this is the last hope for the world, that godly men would arise. It's always been the only hope for the world. So we, I just pray for every one of these brothers here this morning, Lord God, and pray that you will help us to not get weary, not be tired. It's hard work. It's, it's a long, long season to raise children and to stay with it and to be on top of it and, and mind what they're up to and impart to them wisdom and, and guidance and helpful uh, encouragement, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's the most important thing we do. So Lord God, let your blessing, I pray, fall on us as men. May we rise up and lead this church in a way that is gracious and humble. May our leadership be like the leadership of, like your leadership, O Lord. Gentle and loving, but faithful and firm. So we thank you, Lord God, for what you have in store for us. We thank you for what you're working. Forgive us, we pray. Our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness and strengthen us to be the men that you need us to be. Pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Praise the Lord.